You're listening to Badass Coaching, a podcast of the Ad Astra Coach Alliance. I'm your host, Andy Huckaba. Hello, Seth Bate. This welcome to the podcast. And Seth Bate is the uh, director of the Community Engagement Institute at Wichita State University. Hopefully. I okay, got that correctly. Stop there because that's not quite right. Okay, so tell me exactly what you do right now. Okay, I'm the director of the Center for Leadership Development. Okay. Which is part of the Community Engagement Institute. So I just promoted you correctly? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so what does that entail? What do you do there? Uh, the directing part of my duties, uh, I am... Uh, justifiably modest about. Uh, I don't know how much directing I do. Uh, But the Community Engagement Institute is an organization at Wichita State that through a variety of avenues helps organizations and communities get better at what they care about. Okay. And within that, the Center for Leadership Development um, uses a leadership perspective to help people make progress through Uh, a little bit of training through a lot of coaching and especially through taking a leadership lens on things like strategic planning and board development. Okay. We also care about and help more on the private sector side with organizations that are concerned about talent development and uh, improving organizational culture. Okay. So what's your part in that uh, organization? The part that makes it hard to explain is I have a piece of all those things. Okay. And on any particular day, I might be doing one or a dozen projects related to that whole suite of services. Okay. So you might be working with uh, outside clients. Yes. Um, And I might be working with people who are within Wichita State University. Okay. So kind of a broad range of exposure and and uh, um, uh, I don't know what all the words are, but um, just kind of a broad range of uh, uh, exposure in all of those different areas. What other hats do you wear, Seth? Uh, I am part of the teaching and coaching team for Kansas Leadership Center, and that's actually rolled into my responsibilities as a full-time shocker at Wichita State University. Uh, And uh, within Community Engagement Institute, I get to contribute into the work of some of our other centers. So, for instance, a lot of my work right now is teaching and coaching in the public health sphere. And there's a lot going on in public health right now. Yes, there is. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, a lot of my focus is in helping people who care about population and community health to think about what skills they need to help make their communities healthier and to help make governmental public health as efficient and effective as it can be. Okay. Tell me about some other hats you might wear. Well, uh, I'm also a historian uh, with a particular interest in Kansas history. Uh, I come from a performing arts background, so Uh, I am an occasionally performing musician, but uh, 
routinely amateur musician. Uh, and uh, I continue at various points in my life to focus on writing. Uh, early on in my career, I was fortunate enough to uh, win a, a pretty prestigious award uh, for critical writing. And because of that, I've been able to keep my thumb in contributing as a professional writer from time to time in various venues. And what you did mention there is that you live in Winfield or outside of Winfield, Kansas, right? And Winfield is famous for what? Winfield is famous for the Walnut Valley Festival. Thanks for circling back around to that, Andy. Uh, so of uh, uh, the things that I love about my adopted hometown, the festival is first and foremost. And my family and I uh, build our years around the Walnut Valley Festival, which happens the third weekend of September every year. Uh, and at the festival, I serve as an MC. I've done that for a lot of years. Uh, and my master's thesis was a history of the Walnut Valley Festival. And uh, I'm hoping that that's going to blossom into some other projects. I keep staying in touch with that festival office and uh, spend some time in their archives continuing my research there. So uh, I've got this picture in my mind of the Walnut Festival, um, where there are walnuts all over the place. And you know, I grew up in central Missouri and there were black walnuts everywhere, right? Um, what actually happens during the walnut festival? What makes us- uh, we're, we're in danger of using this whole coaching podcast to talk about bluegrass and folk music. Uh, the Walnut Valley Festival is the world's largest convention of enthusiasts of acoustic string instruments. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, it comes from the bluegrass festival culture that began to take shape in the early 1970s in the United States. And uh, so it is on its face, a four day music festival with performers on four stages. But beyond that, it is also a place where people who love to pick and sing come together with other people who love to pick and sing. And so there are campgrounds full of people who play every conceivable stringed instrument. Uh, I was going through some photos yesterday of the 2010 festival, and I found four different washtub bases, because it's the kind of place you would go and find four different washtub bases just um, scattered through uh, the grounds of people camping because they're there to participate in and listen to music. I love that. And obviously, it's a passion of yours. And I saw your eyes light up and your posture change as you began to get into that. Well, you mentioned coaching. Talk to me about coaching. You're, you're a, a PCC certified coach. Yes. So within the International Coach Federation, I'm recognized as a professional certified coach. Uh, and uh, I would say, depending on the week, Coaching is somewhere between 5% and 40% of my work. And in this case, what I mean by coaching is working with one person or a small group of people on the things that they most want to make progress on. And using 
a variety of techniques, but more important than that, a particular mindset to help them in those spaces. Okay. How did you get into that? What, uh, what was the spark that lit you and got you interested in coaching? So I, I end up telling this story almost every time that I teach coaching skills. Uh, and I've told it so many times that I don't know how much all of the pieces are true, you know, how stories evolve like that. Uh, so I, I, I will acknowledge that this, this may have grown into a better story than the actual event. Uh, but when I was invited to get some training in coaching, I was very skeptical. And I said yes, because I thought, you know, it's a day of some additional training and some of the people I like are going to be there. But I had a view of life coaching that was largely shaped by being a teenager in Colorado in the 1980s. And the place that I first remember seeing life coaching offered as a service was in a crystal therapy shop in Boulder on Pearl Street. And it was a place that offered um, crystals for sale and crystal therapy and life coaching. And I'm sure crystal therapy is um, useful for some people. I'm not that guy. And so I viewed life coaching as one of those things, kind of like crystal therapy that was in sort of the woo-woo uh, realm uh, and maybe not something to be taken seriously. So I had the opportunity because of my connection with Kansas Leadership Center to get some training in life coaching. And I thought, all right, this ought to be good. And I went into the training space, and what I learned pretty quickly was that coaching is less about identifying your inner essence or whatever, and more about having structured, focused conversations that help you move toward goals that you have. And in the very first practice coaching, like breakout session that we had, I was working with a friend who was in the class. And I was talking about a topic that had been bugging me for a couple of years. And she asked one question. And it was just a question from the textbook. Like it wasn't some magical question she came up with in the moment. She just looked down and said, okay, for this exercise, I'm supposed to ask you this. And it gave me a really different perspective on the situation and kind of like unlocked something that I'd been stewing over for a long time. And so my sense from that first day of training was, hey, there is something actually useful here. And I really leaned into it from that point on. So where did you go from there? What, uh, what did the progression or the journey look like for you? I had the relative advantage as I have come to know from getting to know other people who are in the professional coaching space, that almost immediately I had a chance to practice coaching with people who, um, I got a, had a chance to practice coaching with people who had been provided that coaching because of other opportunities they signed up for. Okay. So I didn't have to dream up ways to use my coaching. It was there right away. And I know not everybody who comes on the professional coaching journey gets there. But 
uh, almost immediately, I began to view my role as a coach as first about helping people really understand where they are in a moment, and secondly, to really cement things that they had learned. And sometimes things they'd learned because they'd gone through a training program, and sometimes things that they'd learned because um, life happens and it teaches you things. But I started saying yes to any chance when which I could coach or could get coached in a way that was linked to learning. So how did you becoming a coach or this, this journey that you're describing impact the other hats that you were wearing, impact other professional hats you were wearing and in your interactions with other people and so forth? The downside of it is that in a lot of other areas where I was previously rewarded for and in many cases paid for having a right answer, I started being a lot less sure that I had the right answer. The good side of what uh, how it impacted those other hats was I learned two things. One was that very often, if I was supplying an answer, I was shortcutting the potential learning and creativity. So whether I was being a festival MC or uh, working with a nonprofit board or trying to develop talent in a private organization, if I just went in and told them what I thought should happen, it might work or it might not, but that was where the learning stopped. If I went into those situations and asked questions like, what could be possible here? What's really worthy of our greatest efforts? Things emerged that I never would have thought of. And that hurts my ego a little bit to know that um, <laughs> there's something about the process that's smarter than I am, but it led to much better results. What did it do to the people around you? For some of them, it really disappointed and frustrated them because um, I was kind of used to being the smartest guy in the room and they were kind of used to letting me think I was the smartest guy in the room. And it made previously very quick interactions much longer because they'd say, well, Seth, why don't you just tell us? Um, the other side of that, the positive side of that is, uh, I think people left interactions with me feeling much more appreciated mm -hmm. and much more affirmed for their own talents and often much more excited to figure out what could be next. So coaching, um... I would assume has woven itself into your work at the university in, in a pretty big way. Talk Absolutely. Uh, so with, within our institute, within the group where I spend most of my time, uh, I think people are not surprised to hear me in team meetings and in directors meetings ask a question or even name something that I think is going on in the room. Sure. or to say something 
um, that is is not very businessy maybe, but just to say, I, I got this feeling in my gut about this thing that's going on right now and have that be a contribution to a meeting. It helps that within the Institute, there are a number of other gifted and trained coaches. Uh, and so it's a little less foreign to do that. In the larger university environment, um, the coaching skills that I have have really complemented the meeting facilitation skills that I have. Okay. Uh, and I got uh, a month or two back some really kind words from our provost. And uh, he told me, you know, Seth, you're the person I think of anytime we're having a meeting in which I know high stakes issues are going to be discussed among different groups of people. And so I, I really think that that coaching mindset that I bring, that there is something to be discovered here, there's something to be learned here, is the reason I keep getting invited to steer meetings like that. Wow, so he's really seeing some value in the skills that you're bringing to the table, especially around coaching. Yeah, and maybe the value is nothing more than it's easier for those meetings to happen if he doesn't have to be in the hot seat all the time. Mm. And if that's the only value he's seeing, I, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm happy to run that meeting. But my sense is he's seeing that groups are getting farther faster when somebody who has a coaching mindset is actually helping to orchestrate their work. So can you describe just a little bit what that coaching mindset looks like? What does it look uh, like to the people who are part of that meeting or that interaction? Yeah, uh, and here's where I'm gonna embarrass myself because I think this is where I start bleeding into that woo-woo crystal stuff that uh, maybe I dismiss. Um, but I very consciously hold a mindset when I'm doing work that is coaching or coaching adjacent in which I commit to the belief that in the moment we're in, more is possible, learning is possible, and that the person or the people who are involved here are the people who are supposed to be here and they have something to contribute. And uh, uh, it sounds a little woo-woo-y, but those are things you can decide to believe in mm -hmm. a particular moment. And if those beliefs are the filter through which you ask questions, invite contribution, identify areas of potential conflict, it leads to more progress more quickly. I don't know what it is that people see or hear me doing, and I don't know if they'd walk out of any of those interactions saying, boy, that, that meeting was uh, being orchestrated by somebody who believed more is possible here. But I do believe that there is a different tone to those meetings, and it's one about learning and discovery not about, okay, how do we slog through this and just protect our piece of our turf? Yeah, so it, uh, it uh, almost sounds as if you're really embodying um, being a coach. You're not just saying you're a coach, but that your, your words, your actions, your 
uh, presence and so forth are all kind of tied into that and that has an impact on the people around you. I believe, I believe that's absolutely true and also that it's a conscious choice. Yeah. So I don't walk around 24 hours a day with that coaching mindset going. Uh, that'd probably be exhausting. Um, uh, and I'm not an evolved enough human being to do that. So at, at the risk of it sounding a little artificial, it is something that I decide to do. So for the next hour, I'm going to embody that. And uh, at one hour and one minute, I might go back to being my regular old selfish myopic self. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious, and this is a in the moment kind of question, but I'm really curious about how your work in coaching um, and your growth and journey in coaching has impacted the creative side of you, the, the music, the writing, the organizing of festivals and so forth. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a clear answer yet, but one thing that's happened uh, is that I've gotten much more clear about my purpose for those things. Hmm. So, uh, I am an enthusiastic musician. I'm not an especially accomplished musician. And, and I'm, I'm not being falsely modest here. Like I, I, I have a music degree. I, I, I know where I fit, right? Um, but I've realized things like, I would much rather teach beginning ukulele for the rest of my life in a way that gets people singing especially people who didn't think that they could do that before, than I would to devote the hours it would take to be a quote unquote real ukulele performer. Sure. So I, I, I have the skills to do that. I, I could really just focus on being a ukulele player for the next year and I'd be pretty good. Instead, I use the skills that I've got to bring people into a space where they are contributing as musicians. So and there's something around, yeah, yeah, around purpose and being okay with where I am. Yeah. Well, it also sounds like that uh, bringing people into that space and so forth is very much uh, a coaching mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe That's it is. sort of what we do, right? <laughs> um, you're also part of an organization called the Ed Astor Coach Alliance. Mm -hmm. Talk about that and your role there and what your hopes are for that particular group. The Ed Astor Coach Alliance is a group of coaches who are committed to using coaching as one avenue for improving culture. And that culture can be at the team level or the organization level or the community level, maybe even someday at the international level, I don't know. But um, I love being a part of Ad Astra and I've maintained my commitment to Ad Astra because the other coaches in there are all people who believe that coaching is not something that exists for its own sake. It exists to help teams and organizations and communities be better. My role in Ad Astra, um, uh, I'm not sure 
quite how to define. I, I feel like sometimes I'm the smart ass of Ad Astra. Uh, sometimes I'm the um, sometimes I'm the idea generator for Ad Astra. Uh, but uh, I hope that it's a role that is reinforcing the mutual appreciation and the continued opportunity for shared inspiration and shared learning that I think exists among that exceptional group of coaches. Right. Um, well, I would say that you're, you're also um, uh, one of the badasses in Ed Astra, and that's appreciated by all of us, I know. Um, well, if I can be a smart ass and a badass, I, I feel like I'm that's, probably that's pretty accomplished. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, why would an organization or an individual um, hire you as a coach? And what should they re expect out of that engagement? What does that engagement look like to them? Yeah, so let me offer two examples that are both real and recent, and maybe they will illustrate something. Uh, I'm working right now with a private sector organization, it's a professional services firm, and it's an organization that recognized uh, its central management was no longer effective and no longer had the trust of the uh, entire organization. And so they have brought me in to do some organizational assessment, like where are they, but also specifically to coach some of the key players involved. And what they want out of that organization is for those individuals to have a greater sense of where they fit in that company's culture and how they are influencing it um, positively and negatively. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, to be supportive, uh, to be supported in the kinds of things they are doing to try to restore and improve that organization's culture. So in that case, it was a group of people who realized there was some kind of crisis that um, while they had a lot of talent to draw on, they really needed some outside focus to help them figure out how to steer forward to something that they all wanted to be better and they weren't sure yet how to do it. A very different scenario, a place where I'm doing some coaching right now, I'm coaching the second in command executive for a pretty large and well-known nonprofit arts organization. And in this case, the person I'm coaching is a rock star. She is doing brilliant work and she wants to be ready because sooner or later she's likely to go from a second in command position to having to decide if she wants to be the person who takes over the top job. Mm -hmm. And so our coaching right now is not fixing anything. It's about really getting clear what her individual goals are, what she understands the organization's needs are, and making some plans now so that she can be ready to make the best decision and help the organization thrive, whatever she decides to do. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, laying out those two different scenarios because they really truly are different. 
And um, I think some people out there look at coaching as um, a remedial type of uh, activity or a crisis uh, type of activity in the, in the moment present. Um, but this idea of it's also a future activity and an activity that helps uh, a trajectory uh, that helps you plan for the future and, and look toward the future and make progress is a big thing. And uh, it's, it's really nice that you brought those two examples to the forefront. So thank you. Um, so just with a few minutes left, what haven't I asked Seth Bate about that you would like our audience and listeners to know? Well, you haven't asked about family. And uh, uh, I think one of the long-term experiments will be to see how kids of coaches turn out. Uh, so I am a coach and I describe myself most often as a leadership coach, but uh, I'm also a life coach and an executive coach, you know, kind of, kind yeah. of whatever word is there. I am married to somebody who is a restorative practices facilitator. So Jenny is, to my mind, the state's foremost expert in restorative practices as they apply to alternative education. Okay. And she is also trained as a mediator. So I think it'll be really interesting what the kids of a leadership coach and a mediator turn out to be. Uh, <laughs> and what skills they have and what skills they're going to be lacking. Uh, but I will say in our family, we process a lot. Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, Seth Bate, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your skills and talent that you bring to the table every day. And um, I know as a, a member of Ad Astra, I appreciate uh, your partnership there as well. So thank you so much for your time and uh, I appreciate you uh, telling us about you, yourself. And that's the show. Thank you for joining us on the Badass Coaching Podcast. <laughs>